Welcome to the College Connection Podcast, a podcast presented by the College of Registered Nurses of Newfoundland and Labrador. This podcast is a series of regulatory-focused information and education sessions for RNs and NPs. This is the College Connection Podcast. I'm happy to introduce Michelle Carpenter and Wanda Squires today. Michelle is a registered nurse and she is a nursing consultant for policy and practice with the College of Registered Nurses. Wanda Squires is an LPN and she is a practice consultant for the College of Licensed Practical Nurses of Newfoundland and Labrador. So first off, I'd like to, um, I'd like to ask Michelle and Wanda a question. Um, what does self-regulation mean and how is it related to scope of practice and the standards of practice? Thanks, Kelly. Well, as you can see by this slide, nurses, RNs and LPNs are regulated healthcare professionals and government has granted the privilege or an authority to the two college boards to self-regulate. And our primary, our primary mandate is public protection. And our colleges achieve this by ensuring that all RNs and LPNs meet registration and annual licensure requirements, and by promoting standards for safe, competent, compassionate, and ethical nursing practice. And the government has granted this privilege to us through the RN and LPN Act and regulations. And this, these two pieces of legislation has granted the college councils to set the standards and scope of practice for RNs and LPNs. And any profession that, if done incorrectly, would pose a um, substantial threat to the health and well-being of the public is regulated. And in Newfoundland, we have 17 healthcare professionals that are regulated. For example, physicians, social workers, um, some of the allied health. So there's a, um, 17 that are regulated. And there's many reasons for regulation. The colleges standardize the education for um, for the nursing disciplines. They set the minimum level of ex, uh, education for the nursing um, programs. And you can't say you're a, you're a nurse um, just by learning it on YouTube. You must hold a license to practice. So regulation means it sets the rules, principles, or conditions that bring processes and order to occupations and professions. And regulations mandate is to protect the public, it's public safety. And self-regulation means that the profession governs itself. And we'll talk a little bit um, about that in the next slide. So being a self-regulated um, profession means that nurses govern nurses. And the titles of RN, MP and LPN are protected titles. And you can only use them if you have a practicing license. And by having that protected title, it gives assurance to the public that RNs and MPs are accountable and responsible to provide safe, competent, compassionate and ethical care. So to alleviate any um, confusion, we are not the union. We require RNs and MPs and LPNs to adhere to their standards of practice, their code of ethics, legislation and employer policies. But we don't advocate for 
you know, increase wages, um, work conditions. Um, that is something that um, an association or a union would do. By being a, a self-regulated professional, you're accountable to adhere to your standards and your code of ethics and all of those um, other relevant documents that we have on our website, plus legislation and regulatory um, requirements and employer policies. So, so for what does self-regulation mean? It means that the profession governs itself and nurses are regulating nurses. So you own your license to practice, so your practice is your responsibility. And we're not there standing behind you while you're performing your care. Um, you are responsible for the actions that you take, the, the inactions, your judgments, um, uh, your, the consequences of your care. So you own your license to practice and you practice and are accountable for your practice. I'd like to take a moment before you go on, Michelle, to get a little bit interactive. I'm going to do a poll to gauge the level of knowledge or understanding about what it is that nursing regulators do. Uh, for this question in the poll, you guys will be able to select more than one option. And for those listening to our recording, you won't be able to participate in the live poll, but you can think about what your responses might be. So I'm just going to launch that first poll for you. Just give it a second. Okay, so I've launched the poll, so you guys should be able to see. I'm just going to read it out. What activities fall under the role of the nursing regulators? Approving entry to practice nursing education programs, providing education and resources, negotiating wages, answering practice calls, answering questions related to overtime pay, and investigating complaints related to breaches of practice of breaches of practice standards. So I'll just get the audience to um, tick what they think uh, are activities of the nursing regulator. Okay, I'm just looking at the result. Um, most people were getting the correct answers, uh, negotiating wages and answering questions related to overtime pay. So those two aren't, um, doesn't fall under the role of the nursing regulator. So that's great. And uh, only 1% of you guys answered that. Michelle, can you talk a little bit about the regulatory framework for the colleges? Sure. So as we said, we're a self-regulated profession. So, um, our regulatory framework, and this is what um, the College of Licensed Practical Nurses and the College of uh, Registered Nurses of Newfoundland, this, these are the three elements that we work under. We promote good practice, we prevent poor practice, and we intervene when practice is unacceptable. So by doing a session today, we're hoping to provide promote good practice by outlining um, you know, uh, our standards and what it means to work um, within a collaborative team. And we hope to prevent poor practice. But um, we also have an arm that is the uh, professional conduct review process where we will intervene when practice is unacceptable. So um, our regulatory framework, as Michelle had mentioned, it is about promoting good practice. And that is what we're here today doing, right? We're talking about what practice looks like. We're going to talk about your standards of practice um, and, and how adhering to your standards um, 
is as part of this whole regulatory framework. Uh, we also prevent poor practice from happening by being available for practice supports. Uh, we develop documents to support uh, RN LPN practice and we provide that information on our websites and so on. Um, lots of other things uh, certainly that we do. And then we intervene when practice is unacceptable. So when there is a complaint that comes into the regulator regarding an RN or LPN practice, um, we can't turn a blind eye. Our legislation, the RN Act and the LPN Act, um, states that we have to uh, review that. It's a, it's a formal review process um, uh, where we would investigate um, the uh, doings of the RN or the LPN. Um, so then they will go down the uh, disciplinary route uh, and, and so on. So if, if you want to know more about that, it's available on both our websites uh, where you can certainly look up that information about the process that takes place uh, when a complaint comes into the colleges. Before we go on, I'd just like to do another poll um, with the audience. I'm just going to launch that right now. It says, what document outlines the minimum expectations for nursing practice, code of ethics, collective agreement, standards of practice, or all of the above? So I'm just going to give you guys a moment to respond. About 67% um, there um, has the standards of practice, which was the answer that we were looking for. So, um, Wanda, I'm wondering if you would be able to talk to us a little bit about standards of practice. So the standards of practice, you'll see here on the screen, um, there's there's two documents. There's one for registered nurses and one for licensed practical nurses. And these documents um, are available on uh, the CRNNL website or CLPNNL website, um, depending on uh, which discipline uh, that you are. So uh, with regards to the standards of practice, these are the minimum expectations that you as a, as a licensed professional must adhere to in carrying out safe, competent, compassionate, ethical nursing care um, to all members of the public, to all of our clients uh, that we care for. And so these standards of practice, they are they apply to all practice settings, all domains of practice. Um, so no matter if you work in, in community or you work in ICU or you work in long-term care, you must adhere to your standards of practice. The standards of practice have weight with them. Okay. So um if someone, if if there is a concern with practice, someone is going to say, well, did you follow the standards of practice? So um, that's why I say they have weight with them. So you must ensure that, you know, you are um, adhering to your standards of practice at all times, whether you're an RN, an LPN, or a nurse practitioner. Uh, and when those standards are uh, breached, and that's when the regulator has to intervene, okay? Um, the standards of practice, there are, indicators for the standards of practice um, and those uh, indicators so there are four standards sorry uh, under each um, in the standards of practice and under each standard there are indicators now we don't expect you to know them word for word but what we do expect is that you review your standards you reflect upon your standards um, you know uh, from time to time so that you're aware of the expectations um, that you must adhere to when you're carrying out practice because your practice must be safe you must be competent it must be compassionate and ethical and there is an ethical standard uh you know found within the the standards of practice 
Moving on, Wanda, would you be able to um, explain how one would define scope of practice? So scope of practice is truly the range of roles, functions, responsibilities, and activities in which registered nurses, nurse practitioners, and licensed practical nurses are educated, competent, and authorized to perform. We're going to speak about those three words as we carry on throughout this um, education session. Um, this is truly uh, the framework when we think about scope of practice, because when we reflect upon what is it that I can personally do, what we're really doing is we're identifying what that boundary is of my discipline, um, of me as an individual professional nurse. Um, so I have to reflect on, well, am I educated? And am I competent to do this? And who says that I can do that? So we're going to break that down for you um, in the next few slides here. Wanda, are there any limits on scope of practice? Um, so with regards to the limits on scope of practice, if you are a registered nurse, um, there are no limitations on the complexity of the client that a um, an, a registered nurse can care for, um, and a registered nurse can practice in um, many different uh, practice settings, certainly. For a licensed practical nurse, a licensed practical nurse will obtain their authorization from the College of Licensed Practical Nurses competency profile, and that's a document that's available on the CLPNNL website. Um, it is a thick document, and I don't recommend anyone printing that document off. Um, but what you can do is when you go to the website, www.clpnnl.ca, you click on the competency profile, you're able to hit the button control and F for find, um, and then you can search up the things that you're looking for. The competency profile lists all the competencies um, that are within a prof the profession of LPN practice. Um, not every LPN is going to have all of those competencies, um, but, uh, but there is a dis distinction there between entry level and what's within the profession. Anything beyond entry level will be in italics and it'll have a plus sign next to it. Um, but yes, there, there are limits to LPN scope of practice uh, as opposed to the RN. There's no limits on the, on the type of client uh, that they can care for. But again, it's, it's all going to come down to the framework, as I had mentioned in the previous slide, educated, authorized, and competent. And like I said, we're going to talk more about that one. Wanda, can you tell us a little bit more about the scope of practice framework? So the scope of practice framework, as I said, you know, nursing professionals, both RNs, NPs, LPNs, we should all be reflecting upon what it is that I'm about to do or what it is that I'm asked to do, right? So you have to think about this framework. This is really important. Um, and you have to ask yourself, well, am I educated? Do I have the knowledge, skill and judgment to do this? Was it part of my entry to practice nursing education program or did I learn this uh, skill through continuing education? Now, that continuing education can be formal or informal. It could be such that I'll use advanced foot care, for example. You don't learn that in the entry level curriculum for the BSCN or the PN program. 
However, you could go back and you could learn it formally um, at an educational institution, um, you know, somewhere like that. Or you could learn things formally through a clinical educator classroom type setting. Informal is the other part of continuing education. That could be something like, I didn't know what this medication was. I'm trying to look it up. Um, you know, I, I and I need to look it up before I need, uh, administer the medication. So you're learning things more informally. The thing is, you have to have the education. And the education is both theory and practice. Because you can't just learn about it and not ever practice it before you actually go to do it on someone. An IV, for example, right? You need those uh, practice experiences before you actually go ahead and you um, initiate the, uh, the IV. So that's one component is the education. You have to have the knowledge, the skill, and the judgment, the theory and the practice to be able to carry out that skill. The other part of the framework is the authorization, okay? Someone must say yes, and we allow you to do that here, okay? And so, first of all, we think, well, is there anything in legislation, the law that surrounds practice? Well, it's really important as professionals that we're aware of the RN Act and the LPN Act, of course, but there are other, there are other different pieces of law. So, for example, if you're a licensed practical nurse, I'll give you an example of a piece of legislation known as the Vital Statistics Act. And you may think it's very simple. I mean, to sign your name, we can all sign our names to things. However, when um, someone passes, they become deceased, you are able to pronounce death as an LPN. However, you are not authorized under the vital statistics legislation to sign the death certificate. So if we want to bring that into scope of practice, the vital statistics legislation would need to be changed and so on. And that doesn't happen right right away. That's a process. So you have to be authorized by law in order to carry out a certain skill. Then you're, there's your regulatory body. So CRNNL, if you're a registered nurse, and CLPNNL, if you're a licensed practical nurse, must say yes. And this is part of nursing practice for either the RN or the LPN in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. If um, And as I mentioned earlier in a couple of previous slides there, if you're a registered nurse, um, it doesn't matter the complexity of the client or the practice setting, you're able to carry out the care. For a licensed practical nurse, we have what I referred to earlier as the competency profile, which would identify um, the, uh, the scope of practice, the professional scope of practice and entry-level competencies for an LPN. And then there's the employer. Okay, so even though there might be nothing in law and, and, and your regulatory must it says, yeah, you can carry out that care, you also have to have your employer's authorization to carry out that skill and in that particular setting. So let's just say that you work for a larger organization such as a regional health authority. Okay, um, your employer has policies to support practice. And, you know, in any practice setting, if you work for an employer, they should have uh, policies to support your practice. But for this example, I'm going to give, we're going to use a regional health authority. And so let's just say that um, the regional health authority states that all nursing professionals can administer blood and blood products. And so if you think about the analogy of an umbrella, and at the very top of the umbrella sits, you know, the, the policy, blood and blood products. And it states that all nursing professionals can administer blood. 
think about then underneath the umbrella and all the different spokes um, of the umbrella are your different practice settings. And so it could be long-term care, it could be community health, it could be an acute care practice setting in a hospital and so on, okay? So even at the top, it says, yep, all nursing professionals can administer blood and blood products. You gotta be mindful of your different practice settings because in those different practice settings, um, there could be a practice, uh, or sorry, um, different policies to support that practice in that particular setting. So for example, the blood and blood products, you may be able to do it in an acute care setting at a hospital on you know, a medicine unit, but in long-term care, you may not have the supports to help you manage the outcomes of care. So you may not be authorized in that policy to do that, in that, um, that particular uh, practice setting to do that. So your employee must, or sorry, employer must support you in carrying out that practice. And oftentimes you will find that in a policy and it's very important for you as a professional, as an accountable professional, to be able to recognize where those policies are and look those policies up um, for yourself. Um, because again, you know, your practice, your own responsibility. The fourth arm of authorization comes from your client because your client must say yes, and I authorize you or I allow you to provide this care to me. You'll find that in consent form, certainly, um, but your client, again, must, in, must identify that they're allowing you to carry out that care. So these are your arms of authorization. So the first part of the framework we talked about was education. Am I educated? The second is, am I authorized? And the third is, am I competent? right? Am I competent to carry out this care? Because you may have learned something in education, but it was 10 years ago. You might be authorized to do it, but am I competent today? Do I know what today's best practices are around this skill that I'm asked to do? Can I perform this safely, right? What supports do I have around me to help me manage the outcomes of care? Because if we can't manage the outcomes of care, then we should not be carrying out that care. Okay, and manage the outcomes of care doesn't necessarily mean that someone needs to be right next to you helping you. Managing the outcomes of care um, could look different in different practice settings. Um, so we, you know, certainly work with your uh, clinical educator, work with your manager on what that looks like. And you can always feel free to reach out to, to CRNNL and CLPNNL to discuss uh, things like that. So this truly is your framework, right? What, that you have to really stop and pause and reflect upon when someone says, can you do that there? Or are you allowed to do this? You have to say, well, am I educated? Am I authorized? And am I competent to do this? And we'll talk more as we go through about the assignment, because we can't forget about who the client is and what their needs are and where that practice is taking place, because I need to be able to manage the outcomes of care. Thank you, Wanda. That was excellent. Um, so Wanda, when a new nursing graduate enters the profession, are they able to carry out all the competencies within the nursing profession? Kelly, that's a great question. So when you graduate from either the BSCN or the PN program, you'll see here, um, you know, there's, there's circles on the screen there. When they graduate from the PN or, or the BSCN program, they have what's called the entry to practice competencies. So those are competencies that must be taught 
to the individual um, in order to graduate from the program. And those are the competencies that are tested upon like their national exam, for example. Now, as you graduate uh, from the program, um, and you move then into what's called my own individual scope of practice. And what individual scope of practice is, that's what I personally am educated and authorized and competent to do. Not Nurse Johnny or Nurse Susie who graduated with me, um, but it's what I personally am educated and authorized and competent to do. So when you move into individual scope, there could be, you know, several people, several other nursing professionals um, working with you on that particular unit. You're all going to have very different and unique individual scopes of practice. Because, for example, Nurse Johnny may have uh, worked in cardiology um, and on a surgical unit in the past. And Nurse Susie may have worked on medicine and maternity in the past. Um, and, you know, um, Nurse Sally was was just came from long term care. So we all bring different experiences um, and practice with us. In, that makes us it, that makes it sort of unique to us as an individual. So that's what we call our own individual scope of practice. The things that I personally am educated, authorized and competent to do. There's also the bigger, broader um, professional scope of nursing practice. And those are all the things that you could potentially do as a nursing professional. But not one nurse will ever know all of those things that are in the profession of nursing practice, um, you know, even over the years. So we always have to reflect upon what's in my own individual scope. There's going to be times, and I used the example earlier of advanced foot care, like it's not part of entry-level curriculum. I may not right now have a part of my own individual scope of practice, but I may decide to go and do that uh, education in advanced foot care. And so while I do that, that's part of the bigger, broader professional scope. And then I bring it into my own individual scope. So then I would be educated, authorized and competent to provide that type of care um, to, to the clients that I'm caring for. Wanda, would you be able to talk about the similarities and the differences between the scope of practice of registered nurses and licensed practical nurses? So um, we often get questions on uh, on the RNLPN scope of practice, um, and they are very similar, but there are certainly a lot of differences um, on scope of practice. And, and that's a lot related to the breadth and the depth of the educational program. So um, the practical nursing program is a 19 month, um, five semester diploma program, whereas the BSCN, formerly known as the BN program, um, is a nine semester, four year degree program. So you can imagine the, uh, the depth and the breadth is going to be more extensive in the BSCN program as opposed to um, the practical nursing, the PN program. OK, um, we also have to really reflect upon who the client is um, and what their needs are. Um, as mentioned earlier, also, the complexity of care plays a big role in determining who the most appropriate care provider is that's going to be assigned to that client. 
Um, because if you have a client uh, who is very complex with um, a lot of things going on, then that client obviously uh, would be assigned to um, a registered nurse. The environment, again, plays another big role in where the practice is taking place. Um, because you need to be able to manage the outcomes of care. So that will then often determine if the client assignment would be um, an RN as opposed to um, an LPN. So again, there are many similarities, but there are also very um, uh, many differences also in RN and LPN scope of practice. The key thing to remember is, am I educated, authorized, and competent? RNs and LPNs, um, they do have some shared competencies. Can you talk about that for a little sure. bit? Yeah. So um, as I said, there you'll find in the practice setting that there's going to be overlapping um, scopes of practice quite often, actually, when it comes to scope of practice, the things that, you know, you're educated, authorized and competent to do. Um, you'll find that there's uh, competencies that we share, for example, completing an assessment, uh, something that both registered nurses and licensed practical nurses can complete. Um, complex dressings are another. So uh, whether it's in, you know, different practice settings, um, they both RNs and LPNs have that ability in their in their scope of practice. Removal of sutures is another um, entry level practice. Um, completing an admission. Uh, depending on your practice setting, um, oftentimes it's the registered nurse that would complete an admission. But again, depending on the practice setting and depending on the complexity of the client, an LPN can also complete that admission assessment um, and, and so on. Uh, we all seen how we all worked very collaboratively together during uh, the 2020-2021 um, COVID uh, thing that was happening. So uh, we all participated together and collaborated in the COVID-19 swabbing and administering vaccinations um, for uh, members of the public. And then there's also the central venous access devices. Um, so that's new to curriculum for uh, licensed practical nurses uh, back in uh, 2021, actually, uh, that was added to the curriculum. And, um, and so both RNs and LPNs can uh, provide care around central venous access devices. Um, and then there's the administration of blood and blood products. So you can see that there are a lot of similarities, a lot of overlapping um, things that we, we share um, as registered nurses and licensed practical nurses um, when it comes to our, our scopes of practice. I guess um, when it comes to the scope of practice of the whole healthcare team, I guess you'll see not even just with RNs and LPNs, there's some overlap there with the, with the team. Yeah, that's right. So as I mentioned, you know, there there's often um, overlapping scopes of practice. So this um, this slide here, um, really, you can see that there's a bunch of circles on there and some circles are individual, um, whereas others are, are joined together by uh, many different circles. And that's many different professions uh, that are out there. So um, our scope of practice may overlap with um, a PCA. Um, it may overlap with with uh, LPNs and RNs overlapping, NPs, um, and also physicians. And I think, for example, one that comes to mind is, is completing a blood pressure, right? Um, or doing um, uh, a blood glucose 
check on someone. So we all have that within our own scopes of practice. But then there's um there's the the circle that's individualized, and and those are people who we bring in also because we all have a unique uh, scope of practice. So there could be something that we need to bring in um, around. Um, let's say um, a physiotherapist may have something unique in their scope of practice or respiratory may have something unique. But this um, this slide here speaks where it's always circles. It talks about the scope of practice of the team. And it takes a lot, right? Uh, a lot of health professionals um, in caring for uh, clients and caring for um, the people uh, that, you know, that we have to provide certain uh, care to. Um, and so there are individuals individual scopes that are unique, but there's also a lot of collaboration and overlapping scopes of the team that's really important. We often see RNs and LPNs working together in the same practice setting. Can you talk a little bit more about collaboration and how care gets assigned? So collaboration is really important. I mean, we see this um, in all of our day-to-day -day, uh, practices and more often now we're seeing um, licensed practical nurses uh, practicing in, in many different uh, practice settings where um, licensed practical nurses had never been before. Um, and so when we're working together and understanding and uh, reflecting upon our own individual scope, but also the scope of practice of the team is extremely important. So collaboration has to happen. And what collaboration is, is practicing together with one or more members of the healthcare team, each of whom make a unique contribution towards achieving a common goal. Um, because our common goal is about helping the client, helping the client get better, um, go home if they're in a hospital type setting, um, you know, meet their uh, plan of care and the expectations to their plan of care and so on. So when we collaborate together, we're helping our client. Um, and as part of our standards of practice, there's actually a standard um, for RNs and LPNs that notes that we have to use collaboration and to help one another out in our day-to-day uh, -day activities. Um, you know, we can't just turn a blind eye and say, well, you did, you know, uh, health assessments, you know, go look it up, or you, you did medication administration, you go look it up. It's part of our standards that we collaborate together. And we get along well with each other uh, in the interest of our clients. Yes, and could you get into a little bit how that collaboration is related to assignment of care considerations? Uh, yeah, so with regards to the uh, client care considerations, yeah, usually, so it's really important to know, you know, what you know, uh, but it's also very important to know your client's needs, what it is um, that they're requiring of you, right? So how complex are your clients and what is it that they need from you as a, as a professional? It's also very important to know your scope of practice um, and the scope of practice of the team that you're practicing with. Um, it's important for you to uh, know what you know, know what you don't know, but also how to manage the outcomes of care. Now, when we're building the assignment of care, um, the registered nurse is generally responsible for building that assignment of care. Um, however, there are in um, practice settings where the LPN is responsible for developing uh, the assignment of care, creating the assignment of care. The assignment of care should never be created, you know, by going down through the list of clients that you have. And, you know, room one, two, three and four is assigned to Nurse Johnny and five, six, seven and eight is assigned to, you know, Nurse Susie. 
that's not the way the assignment of care should be um, done. It should be uh, reviewed and reflected upon what the client's needs are and who's the most appropriate nurse, whether it's an RN or LPN, to care for those clients. Um, and so we, we have to take that into consideration for sure. Uh, so, Juana, that's great because the um, the next question is, how do you determine the most appropriate nurse to be assigned to meet the client's needs? That's great. And we're going to talk about that now over the next few slides that we do, actually. Um, so when we think about the client, we have to really reflect upon what the client's needs are. How complex are they? Um, we often use the word predictable and unpredictable. In the past, um, there were words such as stable and unstable, but that's not the language that we use anymore. It's more around the predictability of the client and their and the client outcomes. So if there is an assignment and the client is meeting the expected um, terms of their plan of care, the anticipated plan of care is being followed, and the client is meeting that, then the LPN would be assigned to that. So we would say that the client has outcomes that are predictable. The LPN is, is assigned. If the client has outcomes um, that are unpredictable, meaning they're not meeting the plan of care, things are changing rapidly, there's a lot going on with this particular client, we would consider that client unpredictable and the RN would be assigned to that client. But as we go through um, the rest of this uh, session, we'll talk more about that. So Wanda, can you just review with us um, a client with outcomes that are predictable? Yes, for sure. So when you have a client that has outcomes are predictable, meaning that they have a plan of care in place and you know they're following that plan of care, as I had mentioned, the LPN is accountable for that client assignment. And that would be a client who has outcomes and changes that are predictable, um, or they have uh, care needs uh, that are well-defined and there is an established plan of care in place. Um, the client could also have a predictable deteriorating health condition or disease. Perfect. And we're going to, um, we would like to provide another opportunity for some engagement with the audience. Um, I am going to do another poll now that talks about uh, predictability and you guys will be able to choose um, which, which client represents someone that has a predictable outcomes. And I will read it out. Who has outcomes that are predictable? A client who has been receiving dressing changes to a complex wound with outcomes that are as anticipated, or a client who is two days post-hospitalization from a mastectomy. The client has increased amount of drainage with a large hematoma. The client's temperature is elevated and is complaining of pain. So I'll get you guys just to take a second. Um, 95% there, the first one. So a client who has been receiving dressing changes to a complex wound with outcomes that are as anticipated. So Wanda, That's would you like to uh, go over that answer? So in the in the first um, uh, option that was there, a client who has been receiving dressing changes to a complex wound with outcomes that are anticipated, uh, key words there, things are as anticipated. Even though it's a complex wound, um, it could be even be like a back dressing. Um, part of scope of practice is that both RNs and LPNs can certainly carry out that care uh, for, for complex wounds. But the thing is here, the client is as anticipated. 
The second one there, um, the client was a lot more complex. Um, so that wouldn't be the, the client who has outcomes that are predictable. Wanda, would you be able to review a little bit about a client who initially had outcomes that were predictable, but maybe something in their complexity is changing? So in this instance, um, a licensed practical nurse uh, started off shift, for example, uh, being assigned to a client who had outcomes that were predictable. OK, but now all of a sudden things are changing. So this could be a client who has a change in their health condition that has predictable outcomes because perhaps that change occurs in the client from time to time. OK, um, perhaps that client. Um, is uh, has angina, it's known angina, and maybe they have some chest pain from time to time. Uh, the other option or the other is um, the client maybe has anticipated predictable outcomes. However, right now the client's condition at this point in time is not as anticipated. So this is kind of new for this client. All right, I have another poll there that I'm just going to launch. Who has outcomes that were predictable, but now things are changing? So the first one is a client who is palliative and had adequate pain control yesterday. However, at today's visit, the client's condition has changed. The client requires breakthrough pain management and is showing signs of agitation and restless, restlessness. Sorry. Or a client requiring a B12 injection who has received this in the past without reaction. So I see 89% of you selected the first response, the palliative care client with ad adequate pain control yesterday. So, um, so both of those cl clients and LPN can be assigned to. Um, however, if we're thinking about the complexity and the, there's a change in their condition, the answer would be the first one as majority of you had identified. So a client who is palliative, um, they did have adequate pain control yesterday, so predictable outcomes. Um, however, today's visit, the client's condition is changed. The client requires breakthrough pain management and so showing signs of the agitation restlessness. Because of this change, the licensed practical nurse can still be assigned to this particular client. However, um, they are required to um, contact or notify um, like the team lead and RN, a physician, and so on. So there's there's increased collaboration and consultation that's required in this instance uh, for that particular case. So as I said, when an LPN starts off with a client and they have outcomes that are predictable, but now there's a change in the condition, the LPN is required. So they've done their assessment. Um, and so the LPN would then be required uh, to notify the physician NP um, or the, the team lead. And that's when the assessment findings are not as anticipated, changed or new with the client. The client is not achieving intended outcomes. Maybe they've been on an IV antibiotic for a few days. It's not working. So they're not in, um, achieving the, the outcomes as anticipated or perhaps the status of the clients becoming variable or less predictable. So when any of these things are changing, whenever there's a change in the client's condition, as a licensed practical nurse, you will do an assessment. Um, and once your assessment is completed, you will notify whether it is the RN or the, you know, the team lead, um, the NP or the physician, whoever it is that, you know, you would go to uh, for that instance. But you have to notify someone. You can't just not do anything and be like, oh, yeah, I'll just carry on. You have to notify someone 
someone um, about those changes. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a change in the client assignment. It just means that you're collaborating. You're, hey, I, you know, noticed this. This is what I did. What are your thoughts on this? Or you're, you know, you're phoning the physician. Mr. Smith is, has, you know, a blood pressure of, you know, this, and um, I've done this assessment. You know, how would you like to proceed, and so on. So um, you're notifying someone of that. Now, when the client's condition becomes so complex um, that it's it's outside of LPN scope, for example, uh, then the LPN then yes would transfer that client assignment over to a registered nurse. Perfect. So can you talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say outcomes that are unpredictable? So when you have a client who has outcomes that are unpredictable, um, like I said, the RN would be accountable for that type of client assignment. And that would be a client who has outcomes and changes that are unpredictable. Um, so their care needs are not well defined or constantly changing. Um, or it, it could very well be that um, the interventions may have unpredictable outcomes or could be a lot of risk involved uh, with the care uh, for this particular client. So um, the more complex the client, the more unpredictable um, the client in general. And, um, and so that client would be uh, assigned to a registered nurse. Thank you. So finally, we have our last poll. And just a reminder for people who are listening uh, to this recorded, you won't be able to participate in the polls, but I just want you to think about your answers. So let me just launch this. Who has outcomes that are unpredictable? It's a new client is added to the outpatient diabetes team. The client has had uncontrolled diabetes for 10 years, hypertension, congestive heart failure, kidney disease, neuropathy, and early stages of blindness. The client has no support system at home. Or the next client um, is two days post hospitalization from mastectomy. The client has increased amount of drainage with a large hematoma. The client's temperature is elevated and is complaining of pain. And finally, a patient with uncontrolled chronic pain or psychological distress and interventions are not yet working. And this answer, just as a little tidbit, you can select more than one. I'm going to share the answer with you all now. They all are. And Wanda, I'll get you to just explain that a little bit. So with these um, clients, uh, uh, the first one there was a client admitted to the outpatient uh, diabetes team. Um, the client has uncontrolled diabetes uh, for the last 10 years. So um, if it was um, a client who had diabetes for, you know, 25 years, but they were, uh, you know, they were doing very well, then we would say that's that client is more predictable. But because they've had it for 10 years and they're uncontrolled, there's a lot of other things that could be going on with that particular client. Um, they also have congestive heart failure. Um, they have kidney disease, neuropathy, and the early stages of blinds, blindness. Sorry. And, so, and the client also has no supports at home. So we have to get all these things figured out in order to identify what we need to do to keep that client at home, um, or um, you know, what other things are going on if they've had uncontrolled diabetes for the last uh, 10 years. So we would consider that client a bit more complex and would be um, assigned to a registered nurse. The second one there is a client who's two days post-hospitalization from a mastectomy, and the client has increased amounts of drainage, and they have a large hematoma. 
Okay, the client's temperature is elevated and they're complaining of pain. So again, they have a lot of other things going on with them that are very complex. Um, so that client, again, would be assigned to a registered nurse. And then the third uh, that was there was a patient with uncontrolled chronic pain. Um, they have psychological distress and interventions that we've been trying as, as professionals Nothing's working. So we have to figure that out. So they're unpredictable, um, meaning that that client will be assigned to a registered nurse. Um, so these are types of clients that are more complex. And when you're developing the assignment of care, the RN would be assigned uh, to, to the, those type of clients. But like I said, when we are developing the assignment of care, we really have to um, reflect upon the nurse, right? Um, you know, are you educated? Are you authorized? And are you competent? Um, and then you have to think about the client. What are the client's needs? Uh, think about the predictability of the client. Um, do they, you know, do they have outcomes that are predictable, outcomes that are unpredictable? Think about where your practice is taking place. Can you manage those outcomes of care? And what supports do you have around you to help you manage the outcomes of care if they're unexpected? Because at any point in time, anything could happen. And you want to ensure that you are prepared to care for that client in any type of, um, you know, scenario kind of thing. Thanks, Wanda. I'd like to get into a little bit more detail, I guess, related to building an assignment of care. So as you said before, um, registered nurses are usually uh, the ones who are building the assignment of care, but in some practice settings, LPNs are doing that as well. Uh, would you be able to take us through step by step, like what should the registered nurse or a licensed practical nurse in some practice settings, what should you do first when you are building an assignment of care? So I'll, I'll give you the example of, um, of the registered nurse, for example, uh, that would build. So they would build the assignment of care. So the RN would then determine the needs of the client, um, the skill set of the staff, and then they would assign the most appropriate care provider um, to the client. Uh, and that would be based on the client's needs and the client's predictability. So for the LPN that's assigned to the client, the LPN is about to administer the client's medications. The LPN assesses the client prior to administration, a quick visual of the client, level of consciousness, breathing, and determines that there is a change in the client's condition. What's the next step? So for the licensed practical nurse, um, once they've completed that assessment, um, the next step uh, then, sorry, the next step then would be to check the vitals and complete an assessment. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, so, yeah, so they would check the vitals. Um, they would perform a head-to-toe assessment on the client uh, to determine, uh, you know, what's going on. Why is this happening uh, with the client? So after the LPN did their assessment, vitals are checked, the blood pressure of 75 over 40, the client's level of consciousness has decreased. This is an abnormal finding within the client's plan of care. So what happens then? Or what should happen then? 
So um, after that, then the licensed practical nurse would notify the uh, the RN or the, the team lead of this change. Um, and so the RN is the team lead for that, you know, a particular setting, for example. Um, and so once they've notified the team lead, then the uh, team lead RN uh, and LPN will collaborate on the next steps. Um, that could be something like notifying the physician, um, maybe it's, or the nurse practitioner for that matter. Um, it could be that uh, they hold medications. Uh, maybe they increase fluid intake for the client. Maybe they get an order for an IV. Um, could be even calling an ambulance. So, um, you know, once uh, they've collaborated together, um, they've notified, like I said, the, the physician or the NP, they get an order on what those next steps might be. Um, then there's also increased communication, right, between the LPN and the RN um, because there is a change in the client's condition. So you have to work collaboratively together. And so, um, you know, I often say sometimes when you um, are not best friends outside of work, you have to be inside um, because it's in the best interest of the client. Uh, you have to ensure that, you know, everything that you do acts in the best interest of the client. Uh, and we're not thinking about ourselves because the clients need us. Um, so that's really important. So in this scenario, Wanda, would the LPN be able to continue with this assignment? That's a great question. So um, it doesn't necessarily mean that there, there is a transfer of accountability. Um, so the LPN can still be assigned to that particular client. Um, so, the, so they would maintain accountability for the client. Um, the RN team lead would maintain accountability for following up on the status of the client. So the LPN would certainly um, carry out the care. If there is an order from the physician or the nurse practitioner, they could carry out that order. Um, if it's even if it's a stat order, it's part of the professional scope of practice that they can uh, certainly um you know, do all of those things. Um, so the LPN could still be assigned to the client, but again, they would collaborate together and the RN who's who they're collaborating with would also be accountable for following up on the status. So, you know, you wouldn't just leave it um, and, and not come back to say, hey, Wanda, just, you know, checking in to see how Mr. Smith is doing now, right? Um, this may look different in uh, your practice setting as opposed to another. Um, that may vary on, you know, who you reach out to, who you notify uh, and things like that. But you do have to collaborate. Uh, very important to do that. Just as a recap for our listeners, can you review some care considerations that nurses must know when creating an assignment of care? So as I had mentioned earlier, it is so important to know, um, you know, when you're creating the assignment of care, what it is that your client's needs are. Um, you know, how complex are they? Um, you know, who is it that you're going to assign to this particular client? Uh, you know, the assignment of care is done before people come on shift, right? Um, because, and so we need to know, you know, the clients, we need to know, um, you know, the scope of practice of the individuals, the professionals who are coming on. Um, you also need to know what you know, know what you don't know, um, and you need to be able to manage the outcomes of care. So if I'm assigning care to Nurse Johnny, um, you know, and Nurse Johnny is, is assigned to do um, a pick line dressing today as an LPN, and Nurse Johnny um, doesn't have that as part of his own individual scope of practice, then Nurse Johnny has to identify that he doesn't know how to do that, right? It's not part of his competencies. 
And so, um, you know, you have to ensure that when you when you are assigned to someone on the assignment of care, that if there is care that's required that you are not um, competent in, then you have to notify the team lead so that that care can get covered and completed by um, uh, whether it's the registered nurse or the licensed practical nurse who's competent in that type of care. The assignment of care is also created with a lot of thought and consideration for the clients. And so it should never be that, you know, if I'm coming on shift and and Kelly, you and I are working together uh, on shift that day and we haven't seen each other in months and we're so excited, you know, um, that we'd love to go on shift together. And so you're on first, but I'm on second. And I'm like, I'm going to scratch my name out now and put myself on first. That is not best practice. OK, the the assignment is created based on who the clients are, what are their needs, and then who's the most appropriate care provider to care for those clients. It's strategically done such that, you know, Kelly goes on first break so that I'm back and then I go on second so that Kelly is back to cover these clients. So um, that practice is, is poor practice and should not be happening out in the practice setting. Um, so, uh, you know, again, with the assignment of care, scope of practice is very important, knowing your own scope and the scope of practice of others that you're caring for. And again, as I said, we're always acting in the best interest, um, you know, of my client. You have to really think about, you know, all the things that we do. How is it in the best interest of my client? I always say, if I go down route A as opposed to route B, which is best for my client? Really take some time and reflect. Don't jump right into things. Now, if it's an emergency situation, sometimes we do have to jump in, but we should still be giving it thought, right, about the actions that we're taking. Um, but you really have to reflect upon if I go route A, is this better for my client? Or if I go Ruby, is that better for my client? So lots of things to consider when we have an assignment of care, both for the person creating it, but also for the person accepting the responsibility and the accountability of being assigned to these clients uh, throughout your shift. We know that licensed practical nurses and registered nurses have a standard related to being accountable and responsible. Can you explain what it means to be accountable? So um, our standard is around, um, you know, professional responsibility and accountability. Uh, both RNs and LPNs have that standard. Um, what accountability really means is, you know, we're being answerable, right? Answerable for the things that we do. I often joke and say, it's not really a joke, but we should all, every nursing professional should all be wearing a name tag that says, hello, I am accountable because we truly are accountable. We are answerable for what we do, for what we don't do, but we're also answerable for how well we do these things. And, you know, responsibility and accountability, they go hand in hand because I am responsible as a nursing professional to know how to administer Mr. Smith's medications and how to do it on time and appropriately and effectively and, you know, all the rights to the medication management process and, you know, what's interrelated with it and, and so on. I'm responsible to know how to do that appropriately. The accountability piece is being answerable for the way that I just provided that care. So if I did it absolutely correctly, perfectly, I'm still answerable for how I did it. But if I did it you know, if I let's just say I missed a dose or I gave the wrong dose or something happened 
again, I'm answerable, right? Meaning, um, you know, first and foremost, I'm answerable to my client. Uh, but there are many different people that we are answerable to. Um, as I said, our client, first and foremost, um, our employers, right? That we are answerable to our employers to uh, certainly, you know, follow our employer policies, to show up to work on time and, and dressed appropriately and, you know, ensuring that I'm following the policies within my employment setting. Then there's legislation, law, right? I'm accountable to know the laws around my practice, whether it's the RN Act, the LPN Act, depending on where you practice. If you work with um, the older adult, you might want to know the Adult Protection Act. You also might want to work, if you work in um, the emergency department, there's the gunshot and stab wound legislation that you might need to be aware of, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so there's different pieces of legislation that you must be aware of. And then you're also answerable for working within your own scope of practice, right? And knowing the scope of practice of others. That's very, very important. And we can't forget that you're answerable to the regulator, right? Getting your license on time, ensuring um, that you're maintaining your CCP, that you know your standards of practice and the code of ethics. Um, and so it's it's really, really important. These two documents are found on both websites um, and it's important. You know, I challenge all of you to go and take them out and, and to review them because we need to know them in order to carry out safe, competent, uh, compassion, ethical care to our clients. So, yeah, we are accountable meaning we are answerable for all the things we do, uh, what we don't do, how well we do it. Documentation, right, for completing that dressing change. I mean, as a regulator, we're not behind you, right, ensuring that you did all these things appropriately. You have to really know the standards and reflect upon your own accountability because it, it comes down to you owning your own license to practice. Nobody else is responsible for that. Going back to the information that Michelle provided on self-regulation at the beginning of um, today's session, what do you mean when you say my practice is my responsibility? And, and this is something, you know, we all need to say, right? Now, I want you to all challenge you to say it out loud right now because it's, it's my practice, right? My practice is my responsibility. And as I said, you know, you own your own license to practice just like I own my license to practice. So all the things that I do, um, how well I do these things, uh, both in and out of the practice setting, I'm responsible for, right? I'm accountable for. So, um, you know, you are the self in self-regulation, right? Uh, you have standards of practice. You have the code of ethics that you must adhere to, right? And one key element in nursing, um, as a nursing professional, is that we must always use self-reflection. Right. Self-reflection is huge, um, whether it's in our day to day practices, right, reflecting upon our fitness to practice, um, reflecting upon duty to report, reflecting upon scope of practice and so on. Um, we also need to reflect when we're out in the public and people recognize and know that we are the nursing professional. Right. We have to ensure that we are maintaining our standards um, and our code in and out of the practice setting. So, you know, whether whether you, um, like I said, you are, are at in the practice setting or at work, you have to use self-reflection. That's also very important when you're completing your continuing competency program each year, right? Self-reflect. 
what is it that you need to learn about? What is it I need to learn about, right? That's going to make me be the best practitioner that I can be. What is it that's going to make me be prepared to carry out safe, competent care, right, to my clients? So yeah, my practice is my own responsibility. It's not the responsibility of your employer, right? It's not the responsibility of the regulator. You own your own license to practice and therefore my practice, my responsibility. Thanks, Wanda. Uh, where can we find information on scope of practice and anything we reviewed today? So um, the CRNNL and the CLPNNL website, so www.crnnl.ca and www.clpnnl.ca, um, those websites should be like, you know, put onto your, um, your computer screen, uh, your iPhone or your smartphone um, as, you know, a, a quick link to, to go to. Because there are many documents to support your practice as a registered nurse, nurse practitioner, licensed practical nurse. Um, we have scope of practice documents available on both websites. Our standards of practice code of ethics are available on both websites, uh, as well as many other um, uh, places where you can find education sessions related to, you know, scope of practice. There's recorded education sessions, podcasts now, uh, lots of great uh, information uh, that the regular sorry, the regulatory bodies have to help you with your practice. And if you can't find it, you're, you know, we encourage you to call us um, so that we can guide and direct you uh, to where those documents are. So one way to reach us uh, is through what used to be called Twitter, now called X. Um, you can reach the College of Registered Nurses at, at crnnl.ca if you are um, an X user. Uh, we both also have Facebook. Uh, CRNLs is at College of Registered Nurses uh, of NL. And uh, the CLPNL, the College of Licensed Practical Nurses, is on X uh, and Facebook, College LPNNL. Our websites, as I had mentioned, uh, www.crnnl.ca and www.clpnnl.ca um, and uh, our phone number certainly all of this information can be found by visiting the website and clicking on contact us uh, many many great resources and tools there to help support you in your practice um, and if you have questions on you know the practice of another you can feel free if you're a registered nurse call um you know uh call us here at clpnl if you're wondering about lpn practice and if you're an lpn and you're wondering about rn practice certainly reach out to the college of registered nurses uh we're happy to help in any way we can um, and yes scope of practice is certainly um probably one of the most common questions that um that the colleges that we both receive it's one thing to remember when we talk about scope of practice um really is that framework, as we had mentioned earlier, am I educated, am I authorized, and am I competent to carry out this care? Really, really important. Um, and the other is, you know, who's your client, right? Like, we can't forget about the client. And it's not just the thing that the client's in for. It's about the bigger, broader picture of, of all the things that are going on with the client. Um, and, and so we have to think about who the client is, where that practice is taking place because you do you need to be able to manage the outcomes of care think about the supports that you have so all of that is truly the framework and the logic and thinking can you do that
Because really, reality is, the question is, I don't know, but let me just stop and pause and reflect. So I'd just like to take a moment um, for those who are on the call who are listening to this recording at a later time um, that, you know, this this event can go towards um, your CCP. And uh, for those on the call who um, are registered nurses, just a reminder to um, log into your Alinity account and update your profile so you can start logging your hours for this registration year. And I also just like to make a plug for an upcoming session on November the 7th, where uh, we will be reviewing um, Alinity and my CCP. So that'll be a very informative um, education event uh, if you can attend that one live, but there will also be a recording that you can listen to the podcast at a later time. This has been a presentation of the College of Registered Nurses of Newfoundland and Labrador.